Hi, everybody. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, who has the day off. David Schuster is back with me. Um, I love David's commentary, his insight, um, co-hosting today. And David, welcome to Indisputable once again. I can't wait to get your take on all of the day's stories. Oh, Sharon, it is always a pleasure to be on with you. And you actually undersold yourself because you are hosting not just today, Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm breaking a rule here, but you got the whole week. Yeah, you got the whole week. I yeah. don't know where Dr. Richie is going for the whole week, but uh, he, you know what? We are so lucky to have you, uh, Sharon. So uh, too well, late. I appreciate everybody's, you know, excited. I was going to say the whole week, David Schuster, but as I told you offline, you never know what could happen. <laughs> okay, you get a call from TYT headquarters, and you know. Fortunately, or it's the, not that kind of network. The power goes out and the AC goes out permanently and you lose internet and all these things sort of happen. So I've just jinxed you. If anything happens, it's my fault. Well, and you're there to back everything up, triple back it up. Uh, let's start uh, with a devastating fire in Maui. All of that destruction, all the death, the death toll is climbing. The stories from first responders, families torn apart, missing loved ones, devastating. And yet some, some are still vacationing. Who would do that in the middle of this? The island is hurting. Who? Paris Hilton apparently thinks that's hot. Okay, I don't understand it. Maybe you will. According to the Daily Mail, UK, Paris Hilton pictured on Saturday smiling ear to ear, the beach in Maui with her husband and son, despite what's going on just about 30 miles away, despite Hawaii tourism officials begging visitors to leave to free up hotel rooms for homeless residents and allow island officials to focus on wildfire recovery. The heiress arrived on the island on Tuesday with her husband, Carter Graham, eight month old little one in tow. This is the same day the wildfires ravaged the historic town of Lahaina and burn it to the ground. One of the most devastating fires the United States has ever seen. And again, the death toll continues to rise. Hilton pictured at a resort in Walia. You can correct me, David Schuster, if I'm not saying it correctly. Again, just 30 miles from the devastated town where that death toll rose to 96, making the disaster the worst wildfire in the United States in 100 years. Smaller fire in South Maui's Kihei area, still burning on Sunday only five miles from her vacation spot. And this is where she's apparently saying, I'm not gonna change my plans, I'm going to go through with it. Hilton was just one of many tourists still traveling on the island during the crisis, watch. Shame on this company right here. Washed out to 
see and probably gonna need medical services. Look at this. What a joke. Right on, Lonnie Kai, Molly Snorkeling Company. Right on, brah. What a joke. You can understand why people would be so upset. In the middle of devastation, what are you doing? Taking tourists on just a ride. Actor Jason Momoa was born in Honolulu on the island of Oahu. On Saturday, he urged tourists to leave. Here's his Instagram. Maui is not the place to have your vacation right now. Do not travel to Maui. Do not convince yourself that your presence is needed on an island that is suffering this deeply. To everyone who has donated, shown aloha to the community in this time of need. Mahalo. Jason Momoa, fellow actor Dwayne Johnson, whose family is from Hawaii, said he was heartbroken of the events. Hey everybody, I know that by now all of you around the world have seen the complete destruction and devastation that has hit our Hawaiian islands, our island of Maui. And I'm completely heartbroken over this and I know all of you are too. Everything that I've seen transpire over these past couple of days, everything that continues to transpire hour by hour and minute by minute, it, it's, it's, all, it's all heartbreaking. Thank you guys around the world for all of your love and your support, your light, your prayers. Thank you for sending them to the islands of Hawaii, the people of Hawaii. And for you guys who want to donate and support in any way that you can, check the link in my bio. Uh, I'll even drop it down here in my copy. Um, I have been speaking with organizations on the ground who have boots on the ground and um, I will continue to get as much information as possible. There's so many needs. The Rock is always so generous. Um, we've seen him give countless times enormous sums of money. And that's just what we know about. Um, always there in a crisis. This one connected to his family and his roots in Hawaii. Somebody else, a couple who gives a lot. Lauren Sanchez, Jeff Bezos, announcing they've established a $100 million Maui relief fund for wildfire recovery. Oprah, a Maui resident, personally came to a shelter. She donated cots, bedding, toiletry supplies, Oprah saying. And at some point I will make a major donation after all of the smoke and ash have settled here. And we figure out what the rebuilding is going to look like, she declared. She intends to do more. You can donate to Hawaii Community Foundation. That's the one that uh, is vetted, many are checking for. And there's the information on the screen. It is so devastating, David Schuster. I don't know where to begin uh, when I watch the coverage and they talk about <sighs> describing for reporters the remains and how they've only searched a small percentage of this devastation. Mm -hmm. And yet, let's start with Paris Hilton. The heiress, the influencer, the DJ. Should we be hard on her at this point for seeming to be so vapid? I think it's this is a tough call because on the one hand, as you pointed out, she was there at the, the Waialea part of Maui, which is about you know 30 miles south of Lahaina. 
Um, there is there are a couple resorts that are still open there. I don't know if she was staying at the Grand YLA Resort or she has her own property. Um, but to the extent that when you start hearing people who are from Hawaii, when you start hearing um, you know, the actors and the actresses and The Rock say, don't come here now, I think that's the time when celebrities should leave. And then everybody who has vacation plans or has was on vacation there should also try to get off the island and make space, unclog the roads, don't you know have any demands and sort of resources and food. Leave all of that for the first responders, for the rescuers, because again, um, it just it, to me it just sends such a terrible message and there's a sense of sense insensitivity. If on the other hand, if Hawaii officials said tourism is our bedrock, we need to recover through tourism. Yes, please come to Hawaii. Then fine. The tour boats, the snorkeling, the Paris Hiltons of the world, sure, by all means go to Hawaii. But with them saying don't come right now, I think everybody should stay away. I think you're exactly right. And when Jason Momoa basically, I mean, he couldn't have been any clearer. Don't come here. Uh, he seemed to allude to ulterior motives. We need to heal. We obviously need to come together, get this cleaned up. Give if you want to, but stay away. Hearing some of the heartbreaking stories too, David, from some people who said they had no warning. And yes, this was a fast moving event, the winds, all of it. But they, they're they already so angry. Uh, there's a class action lawsuit filed against the, the energy companies saying you should have shut everything down when these winds kicked up. But they're so angry saying officials didn't do enough. Where should the focus be? You're a tremendous journalist yourself right now. Should it be in raising money and helping the community heal? Or should it be in investigating this? Or does it need to be twofold? I think it can be twofold. I mean, from previous disasters that I've covered, like Hurricane Katrina, the first and foremost priority is to clear the roads, right? If you've got tree lines and you've got if you've got power lines and trees that are down blocking the roadways, then nothing can get in. So the first the first call of duty is clear the roads, make sure that there's access to these areas. Then there's the recovery effort in terms of searching for anybody who may still be alive. And then there's the process of allowing people who have property to go back in and see if there's any of their valuables that they can be recovered while at the same time establishing a security presence. And simultaneously with all of this, I do think that there have to be some very tough questions asked, not only the electric companies, the power companies, but also the local government. I mean, it sounds like from some of these stories you've been reporting on, Sharon, that people didn't know which direction to leave the city. There was no guidance, they had no information. And a lot of people apparently died burned up in their cars because their cars got stuck and these traffic jams. And so when you have an entire city of 10,000 people and nobody knows how to get out of the city because there's no emergency broadcasting, there's no guidance, that's the worst tragedy of all because these are people who were trying to leave and if they've been given some proper guidance that that was available, maybe they might've made it out alive or made it into the ocean with some of the other folks who went there and were able to ride out the, the fire by essentially sitting in cold water for five hours. Cold water, breathing it, water with diesel fuel in it and some other things that had run off too. I, I saw a report where one woman survived for, as you said, many hours, but right next to her a man drowned. He couldn't breathe anymore, the toxins and everything else. One of the things that made me angry to your point was in watching the coverage, I saw first responders, it's probably not fair, um, those in charge of notifying the public saying it happened so quickly there's probably nothing we could do. That could be true David Schuster, it could be true with so much carnage. Is that what I wanna hear from you? It made me so angry. Yeah, no, and the anger is totally justifiable because it is too soon to, to say anything like that. All you can say right now, if you are a government official, if you're a local politician is this is horrific, this is tragic and leave it at that. There will be plenty of time 
down the road to figure out whether more could have been done, whether this was an impossible event where nothing could have been done. But now is not the time while families are grieving. And there was somebody who was just posted in our community on their local Facebook page. My sister was on vacation in Maui. We haven't heard from her since before the fire. Does anybody have any suggestions? That is happening in communities across the United States. People are grieving. They're terrified that maybe they've lost their loved ones. This is the time when we should be sensitive to that grief, to that despair. Leave the second guessing in terms of the assessments of what might have been done or what could have been done for weeks down the road. Right now, give people some room to absorb the shock and the grief of what they're going through. They, they need to hire you as a consultant because what you just said is valid. It's perfect. Why? What is so hard about people in these jobs? Why not just step before the microphone and say, we hear you and we are going to prioritize. And before it's all said and done, we're going to look at everything. We're going to look at everything. What's so hard about doing that? Even if I, I don't know, I'm built differently. I've not been in that kind of crisis, but I'd like to think that would not have been my response. I'll give you the last word. No, I I just, I think it's almost sort of human nature. Maybe part of the problem is you have small communities sometimes that don't, are not used to this sort of thing, whether it's a school shooting, whether it's a natural disaster. And there is such a sort of rush to try to understand, well, what happened? What could have been done? But it does, it takes a certain sort of, I think, humanity to understand when you've lost at least 100 people in your community, possibly thousands, to have somebody, some sort of grown up come in and say, we're not talking about what might have been done. We're not talking about whose lives could have been saved. We're not talking about who's at fault yet. Right now, all of our energy is focused on helping the people who are suffering, looking for people who may still be there alive. That's where our focus needs to be. Everything needs to be focused on that. And if people start asking, well, could could this could this have been prevented? The answer is we don't know yet, and we're not going to know for a while. And we will get that answer. But now is not the time to think about that. Wow! If you could have written that 24 hours ago and faxed it out there, if they have that availability or posted it on their social media, that could have gone a long way because this is horrific for people who are just. They're, they are now angry, but they're devastated. Their town is devastated. I heard talking of history gone. So it's all gotta, it's all gotta be figured out. The timing, sensitivity, empathy, empathy. As things are still smoldering, Oprah's saying, when the dust settles, you tell me what you need and I'm gonna do all I can. <laughs> How they can't get it right. Why can't you get it right? We're gonna keep following the story, the storyline, the devastation out of Hawaii. And might I say, David Schuster, the reporters have to be mindful too. Yes. Okay, everybody's flying in, everybody's flying in. The networks are sending multiple teams. They've gotta cover this, but I have been in some mass reporter crowds and had a family just lose children in a fire. And have someone shout out, how do you feel? The reporters, maybe you can give them a caution. Yeah, I I mean, I would hope that any news organization, network news organization, I've heard that some of the news anchors are heading there. That's fine, but I, I, I hope whoever's doing their advance work is making sure that those network resources are not taking away resources that might be needed for first responders, for the you know, the canine units for all the different people that are there to try to help, you know, figure out 
uh, whether or not there's anybody still alive. I mean, it's it, the, the media is important. The media needs to be there. But I think there needs to be some sensitivity, particularly on the part of the media, to make sure that if you're reporting on the evening news, you make it very clear to your viewers, yes, we may be only a few miles away from Lahaina, but we're staying on the other side of the island, far away uh, from the hotels that are needed for the first responders. Not wallpaper, folks. These are real lives. Not for ratings. Just do what you're supposed to do. You can worry about that later. Much more indisputable. I'm Sharon Reedham for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. David Schuster joins us as our special guest co-host today. Much more when we come right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reedin for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. I'll be here all week um, if you'll have me. David Schuster is our special guest co-host today. Um, love having David on and you're a parent, David. I'm a parent as well. And But as the parent of a brown child, this next story out of Michigan, it just makes my blood boil because it could happen. Could happen to me, could happen to my child. Michigan cops wrongfully detain a 12 year old. What, what was this 12 year old doing that was so suspicious? Taking out his family's trash, watch. The kid bringing out his trash to be dumped and he's getting harassed by the police. He was taking out his trash, yo. His dad's coming out to see why they have put their, his son in handcuffs. For a teenage kid, yo, the wrong person, yo. They done arrested him, brought the canine down here. Now they've arrested the young boy, but then traumatized him. All these cops put him in a cop car. Now they about to tell lies. He crying. Didn't you know most criminals stop to take their family's garbage out, even with cops in hot pursuit? These kids sure do grow up fast, don't they? But when they're black children, they're forced to, black males in particular, but females too. Landing Michigan police have said the viral video of officers detaining 12 year old Sean Bernard was an quote, unfortunate misunderstanding theirs. Stemming from the foot chase of a suspect wanted in a suspected vehicle theft. Deshaun can be seen wearing neon yellow shorts and t-shirt as he's being detained outside an apartment complex after having taken out the trash. Deshaun's dad telling officers they were traumatizing him. 
In a Zoom call with reporters on Friday night, lawyers for the family of Deshaun Bernard asked that police take down its Facebook post saying the photo makes it appear as though the shirt Deshaun was wearing was white when it's actually gray. Suspect police were actually looking for was wearing a white shirt, they said. Lansing State Journal. Lansing police posted an initial explanation on Facebook mentioning witness description of the car theft suspect as wearing neon shorts and a white shirt. These are photos of the suspect and Tashawn that were posted blurred out along with the statement. These people have some nerve. The video led to three statements by police chief Ellery Sosabi, Mayor Andy Schlor's office. LPD said they hoped to put the situation behind them. And by late Friday afternoon, a statement from Chief Sosa B was released that read in part. When the officer made initial contact, it was near a trash bin, but was after he had disposed of any garbage. The young man was then released to his father when eliminated as the accused. The command officer on the scene made contact with the young man's father and explained the situation and apologized for the misunderstanding. I have reviewed the incident and can confirm the officer who contacted and detained the young man was respectful and professional during his investigation. I have to stop there, David. I have more, and I'm going to give more details. But the tone, deafness, okay? This is the statement you want to put forth initially. We want to move on. By the way, the cops did nothing wrong. They were courteous, traumatized for life. You go ahead, sir. Well, I don't know anything that's courteous or professional about putting somebody who's innocent in handcuffs. Um, that is an experience that young man, will, that child will, will never forget. I mean, it's it's absolutely outrageous. So I wish the police chief and the mayor would have just come out and said, this was an innocent young man. He should have never been stopped this way, period. And we're doing an investigation to find out what drove this. Was it racism? Was it racial profiling? What happened here? Because I guarantee there are plenty of ways that even if they have the 12 year old who had been breaking into cars. There are ways to stop and question that young man without having to use force, without having to put handcuffs on somebody. And if police would just do their job on the front end, then they wouldn't make these ridiculous mistakes on the back end. Not good policing. I, we already saw that, okay? There's not good policing right here. There's more from the chief though, quoting, as the chief of police, I want to apologize that this incident had such an effect on this young man and his family. I'm asking for the community to consider all the facts of the situation before making a judgment. The relationship with our community has been and will continue to be a top priority for the Lansing Police Department. Hmm. Now, sure apologized to the 12 year old and his family. In a statement, the Lansing Police Department made a mistake in detaining the wrong person during a vehicle theft investigation. Young man was wearing the exact same clothing as the suspect. However, it was quickly confirmed he was not the suspect in question and he was released. I joined Chief Sosabi in offering my apologies to the young man and to his family. LPD is in contact with the family and providing resources and support for any trauma involved. Our officers do their absolute best to protect Lansing, but in this case, a mistake was made and we own it and apologize to those affected. As mayor, I once again offer my sincere apology to this young man. Attorneys for the family said Sean was taking out the trash at his home when he was approached by an officer. 
holding a gun at his side. The boy was put in handcuffs and placed into the back of a police vehicle. Our client has been traumatized by this incident so much so that young Tashawn does not want to go outside even to get the mail. That's from attorney Rico Neal. The attorney said they were exploring all legal options for the family, including a possible lawsuit. Family wants to ensure that the same situation doesn't happen to anyone else, they said. So here again, the tone deafness, I would thankfully, this is not my child, but as a mother, I'm not interested in you providing resources for my child after you perpetrated this this traumatizing event. I don't need you who don't even know how to acknowledge it appropriately and properly to then counsel my child to feel better. And by the way, part of the statement wasn't true. Gray is not white, light gray may look similar, but it's not white. So stop saying that. (laughs) Am I missing the mark here, David, at all? No, I want to sort of get a little story about that underscores sort of the difference here. More than 30 years ago in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is about 70 miles from Lansing, I was one of three other white guys, three white guys who we had broken and entered into a sorority house and tried to you know steal some photographs or whatnot. We went up through the fire escape, we went out through the front door, we carried this thing down the street. We obviously matched the description that the girls who were frightened had given. A cop rolls up. We match the descriptions, we are guilty. And one of my friends passes a fake ID, which the cop recognizes as fake. Did that police officer immediately arrest us and put us in handcuffs and have us put up, you know, sit in the back of this police car? No, he gave us a stern talking to and wrote us up a citation and we eventually had to appear for a misdemeanor in court later. We were guilty and we got treated as if we're a bunch of knuckleheads, right? But we were not put in handcuffs, we were not put in the back of a police car. And so if that's the way you're gonna treat three or four white 19 year olds, 18 year olds, why on earth if you suspect something of a 12 year old breaking an entry and possibly trying to steal a car, why would you go hands on with handcuffs and put them in the back of a police car? The difference is white people versus black people. That is racism, it is systemic, it has been that way for, for, for a long time. White people have been getting a break. And we see time and again that black kids are treated differently. Wow, why so honest, my white ally? Why just tell the truth about your experience? And I wish more people would just be honest about what's going on here. I'm glad you got away with a misdemeanor, David Schuster. Look who you became. I don't want kids traumatized. Look, you're doing good work on behalf of- I did community service and I got expunged off the record. All the opportunities one would hope, let's just suppose they had the the right kid who was breaking and entering. I would hope that even then, you wouldn't need to put somebody like that in handcuffs in the back of the police car. You arrest him, whatever, you you see if he's gonna cooperate. And then, oh, by the way, you give him the same opportunity that we had, which is, to do community service, to get it expunged off his record, to do something good for the community and turn his life around. But I fear that those opportunities don't come to minorities, the Hispanics, the people who look different from a police officer who was white. Wow, I just could reach the, I don't wanna offend your wife, I kiss you right now. <laughs> I, will, I want you to speak to this because there's gonna be a lawsuit, there should be. But you know who's gonna end up paying, nothing's really going to change here. And I wonder if it's a solution that 
Money comes out of the police budget. This is probably a slippery slope, but I'll pose it to you. If you continue to do things like this, we have to rein you in because we don't know what you'll do next. That could be off base, David Schuster, but I don't know what else to do or suggest. I, you know, I, I, I think there's something there. Obviously, there needs to be some sort of settlement agreement by the city that it's not just you know a payment to the family, not just whatever help they're going to give the family to help this kid recover. But the police have to make it clear the reason that they immediately snap handcuffs on whoever they suspect is because police now are so fearful of their own safety. It's about officer safety. We have to put somebody in handcuffs so they can't do anything. Well, there was once a time, I think, certainly with white people continuing. There was once a time where police would assess the situation and say, is this person cooperating? Is this person running away? Is this person reaching inside and about to grab something that could hurt me? If they're not doing those things, you don't need to escalate by putting somebody in handcuffs. You talk to somebody the way police officers are supposed to talk and gather information and make an assessment. And in this case, if a police officer would have been level-headed and had a calm conversation with this young man, say, hey, what, what were you doing? We're kind of looking for somebody, you know anything? I have a feeling that this kid and everybody else would have cooperated with the police. But instead, when the police go in literally guns blazing or with their hand on a gun, slapping cuffs on, that creates distrust in the community and it infuriates anybody who has any sense of morality and humanity. I've done fell out if this was church, I done fell out. I haven't been in a number of years, but like someone spoke to you, like an officer had a conversation with you 10 years ago when you were a teenager, David Schuster, and look at you now. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reedin for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. David Schuster is our special guest co-host today, uh, the king, I would like to say a rebel HQ. David, you probably don't like that, but you are, I you're the have, one we, we chase. Royalty on rebel HQ uh, or TYP <laughs> or anything you're else. You're right, you're right. I, I, whatever you say, Sharon, I agree with that. Whatever, anything you say, I will I will embrace. <laughs> yeah, all hailed it. No, we don't, Everyone, everyone's equal, we fight for everyone to breathe, live, and just be happy. Live how you want to live. Uh, Let's get you some viewer comments because there's been a number of stories that are triggering today. TYT members first, Cheesecake Brownie about the Michigan cops wrongfully detaining a 12 year old boy, just taking out the trash. His life has changed forever. Cheesecake Brownie says he is just a little boy. Then they wonder why people are messed up or hate the police. I think you make an excellent point, okay, it's always the thing like, Police are heroes, trust the police. Unless you're in a certain community, perhaps, you don't understand the fear and the daily ramifications for just breathing for certain segments of the population. Lynn says the trash in that story wasn't in the bin. Ooh, it was wearing a uniform. They gotta figure out how to just call it what it is, as David Schuster said. Otherwise, you don't need more training. You got to call it what it is. Got to identify the problem, racism. And then you can try to deprogram yourself so you can fix this thing. Um, A lot of you upset about that one. YouTube, Susie B, same story. They might be able to put this incident behind them. What about the 12 year old? Exactly, life will never be the same. Donnell Johnson was so bad that you can't tell a youngster from a grown man. And that's the other thing, David Schuster, because you have so many black boys who are suddenly viewed as and described as this super predator hawk-like thing to justify 
yanking them out of a car, pulling them into a police vehicle with cuffs on. And it's just so alarming. I can tell when someone's 12, I think. Why can't they? Yeah, and I almost feel like, you know, we need to reach a point where police, most police would feel shame about doing yes. something like that. Who would be willing to say, okay, I'm not gonna risk ruining the future of this young man. And I'm willing on the chance that this is the suspect, that he does have a knife, that he does have a gun, I'm still not gonna go and escalate. And I'm willing to put my life on the line because I would rather, I mean, look, if I were a cop, I would rather get shot because I was too careful than shoot somebody else because I was not, I mean, because I was, you know, reckless. Mm -hmm. That's how I am. And I think that's how most people want police to be. They want police, you do the job if you're gonna take a risk. And your risk is maybe you make a mistake and it costs your life. But the idea that you're gonna err on the side of taking somebody else's life to me is reprehensible. Yeah, it is. It's reprehensible. But the, if you don't identify with that youngster as a police officer did a young David Schuster, then maybe you don't care as much. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't care as much. Get you one more. Again, you guys are all over this story. It really touched you. Resonated Michigan cop wrongfully detaining the 12 year old Kaladin on Twitch says, fit the description. Mm -hmm. Black. There it is. There it is. That story will continue to follow and see if the family does file suit, what happens next, what the police department will do if they'll moonwalk some of this nonsense back. Uh, now though, it's that time of the program. I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're gonna feel great, back off! I'm gonna tell African American man threatening my life. Respect. I'm speaking to you. That's How the, dare you speak that's, to me in that manner? Wow. That's, that's what we. Israel, Israel. passengers is waiting. Then tell Israel that. Why did they? Why did they detain okay, me? Please do not speak to me that way. That, you're united. You're no, united. Okay, good. Whoever you are, don't dare speak to me that way. Have some respect. Three hundred people are waiting. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. So do you have any kind of beef with you? No, I don't. Ma'am, why are you speaking to me in that way? Which way? I ask you to go on board because 300 passengers is waiting. Do you know they made me get naked? Okay, that's not me. Oh. I'm not the security, right? Why is she speaking so to me that way? Why is she speaking to me that way? Sir, I speak with you. Why is she speaking to me that way? No. Have some respect. I'm sorry for this inconvenience. Have some respect. Have some respect and that question over and over again, why is she speaking to me that way? I believe is a rhetorical question. I think we know why. She's speaking to him because that's what she thinks of him. I think it has to do with the way he appears to her and who she thinks he is, what she thinks he is. This Karen, airline worker, harassing the man who was just profiled. That's exactly what just happened here. When the man finally boarded the weight of this abuse, the process of just trying to go somewhere like others, fellow passengers, finally caught up with him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. May I? I'm sorry about of that. Of course. I'm sorry for the delay. It wasn't my fault. Please. Okay? I'm really sorry about that. I'm sitting here, ma'am. I'm sorry, you have to go hard time in security. Yeah. 
<laughs> they made me get naked. I'm sorry about that. Do you know what that feels like getting naked? I could imagine, yes. They showed my male parts over here, ma'am. I was here for three hours. Wow. Well, let's have a seat. We'll take a deep breath. I would just like to be treated like a human being for once. I agree. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Those passengers who this gentleman was apologizing to, again, not his fault, seem to have, some of them seem to have more compassion than that nasty Karen. Complete with the Karen cut had as she chased and berated him onto the flight. I don't want to be stripped naked. I can't even imagine how that would feel and be inspected, my body inspected. Depending on your faith, it would go further than that about how violated one might feel. This, this grown man, the tears. I mean, let's look at the tears, David Schuster. My heart breaks for this man, and it makes me think this finally broke him. Yeah, I mean, this look to me. This this speaks so much more about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the Israeli-Arab conflict. This man who had a beard, sort of bushy hair, but did not have a yarmulke on, so he wasn't Jewish. So I'm sure that the security authorities thought, "Aha, he must be Palestinian or Arab. We need to give extra security to him." That was the first mistake because there are ways to screen people. I don't think they should be using racial profiling even in security for, for lines for, for flights to Israel. But nonetheless, you could have put him through x-rays. There's all sorts of things you could have done with this man without having to get him to strip naked. And then for this woman uh, to come along who's not even part of security to be berating him. I hope the internet does its thing and identifies that airline worker and that she quickly gets and finds herself out of a job because it's a humiliating enough experience that this man had to go through for them to be piled on by this ridiculous witch who decided to berate him as he's walking to the plane, that is outrageous. I hope she's publicly identified and shamed and she loses her job. Only thing missing was the broomstick. That was the only thing missing. And I think you're exactly right. And that's what I was alluding to. So why not just say it? She identified him as an other and she spoke to him like he was trash. It hurt him. It reduced him to tears. And I happen to agree with you. Racial profiling is stupid. If I wanted to do something, I would try to look anything but, anything but the perp that they are casting that wide net for. Just me, I don't know. But I too hope the internet does its thing, David Schuster, because people like that, who are so caught up that they can't even suppress their hatred, their racism. This is a huge problem, or perhaps they know hmm, nothing's gonna happen. Well, this time let's hope something happens. There are times when you just wanna escape it all. Get out in nature, I used to take hour long walks, I loved it. Clears the mind, maybe listen to music or just the sounds of bees, birds. Whatever. Double dose. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell there's an African American man threatening my life. I don't have to tell you anything. 
I'm not a police officer, but even if cops did have to disclose it, and because I've worked with law enforcement before, I can tell you this, they are not legally required to disclose anything to you. That's they a myth. Here no, to that's me. a myth. That's no, a fable. No, that's not true. If you've got a chip in your head and you think they're looking for you, that's on you. But you're clearly I don't think talking that, to the wrong but person. You're saying it. I don't care. You came no, over no, here. See, you're harassing I, me. I never said I'm that. I'm sitting but here you having my coffee. Yeah, I'm sitting here having my coffee, and so you called me. So what's wrong with your back? Nothing's wrong with my back. What's wrong with your legs? My legs work fine. How else do you think I bicycle well, here? you're in a quadriplegic thing. This is called a recumbent bicycle, okay? Great. It's adaptive use, huh? <laughs> it's whatever the f I want it to be. It's comfortable. I can go 10, 15 miles, and whenever I want a break, I sit here, I have my coffee, and I look at the beautiful view. And most of those times, I'm not bothered by some lunatic hanging around Camp Rich calling people by the wrong name when they pass by. I'm not. You, you said something about Rick. That's not my name. When I drove by earlier, I'm like, okay, you no don't problem. You know who Richard Tobin is? Who the f is Richard Tobin? Who the f are you? you know yeah. There could be a chip in there. The immaturity, the pigtails. Pigtail Karen, not allowing a man to enjoy his coffee and relax on the beach. Why are you talking to me? Can we just listen to nature? Go away. Go away. There's more. You don't know anybody named Chance? I've known many people Did named Chance in my 40 years on this earth. The FBI sent me here because the guy worked at, uh, stayed at the hostel. The FBI said, hang on, just back up a little bit. We can no, have a conversation. A but Would you like to see a picture of no, no, my no, no, son no. with just, a gun to his back of his head? Just take a couple feet back and so, we can have no, a conversation so if you'd like. No, I don't want to have a conversation with a car. Good, then go away with a car. I'm an Autobot. I better roll out. <laughs> see you later, crazy Karen. That's libel right there. No, it's not. I could call you whatever I want. That's freedom of speech. If I said you committed a crime, that's slanderous and libel if it's either in verbal or print. But you don't obviously know what the hell you're talking about, so you should just go away. Go away. Go listen to the tinfoil hat chip in your head. I don't care what you have to say. I don't have a chip in my head. Well, if you keep acting like this, you're going to have a lot less in your head. You clearly have 5150 experience. Are you Ents? Am I an Ent? Like Is a tree? Name Entz? Are you Attorney Ents? No, I'm a guy on a bicycle enjoying his coffee watching the beautiful lake over here. And I'd like to go back to it if you don't mind. Hi. I think he looks a lot like Attorney Ents. You know why I'm recording this? Because if you do something crazy, I got proof that you're crazy. Number one, people with chips in their heads are usually unaware and don't admit that there's a chip in their heads, David. I want you to comment on the video, but before you do, this man was an educator. He had to be. He had some experience. Explain to folks what he was trying to explain. Fifty-one fifty libel. Yeah, I mean, so it's something like this. You have look. We we all have the right, even to a police officer. I can tell the cop to go do that thing that is anatomically impossible. I don't need any excuse. I don't need any reason. He can be pulling over. I can be having a conversation. I can say that to a police officer. I can say that to anybody else. We may not like it, but that's the First Amendment. However, if you then record somebody and you say and you publish a recording, or you write a story and say this person is a sexual deviant or this person is a criminal or convicted felon, and that's not true, then you get into areas of libel and defamation and whatnot. But what this guy was clearly doing is he's just having a conversation. He's like, just leave me alone. He's trying to enjoy himself by the lake. And if this is if this is how this woman acts in a place that beautiful. Imagine how whacked out she may act if she's in a busy street or someplace by shops or whatnot. She clearly has some emotional disturbances and good for this guy to record it and 
you know, the, the lesson is always record interactions that seem mm-hmm. like they're going in a way that you're not comfortable. Yeah, I mean, she was uncomfortable. And I, which was one of the Peanuts characters, did one of them have pigtails? I don't, <laughs> and she just reminded me of this character who was so annoying, who would not go away. But the longer the conversation went on, David Schuster, I too believe, I wouldn't describe it as a chip. There was something else going on with her asking, do you know Ron and all of these people? Can I just enjoy the view and my coffee? And you turn around and go away, loosen your pigtails and go away. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lesson here in all of us because all of us who you know interact with the rest of the world have all had experiences on the bus, on the subway, on the airplane, on the street with somebody who's just not quite right. And we have a choice: we can either get really mad at them and escalate and have some sort of violent confrontation, or we can just sort of step back and take a deep breath and say, "Okay, this person is troubled. Please leave me alone. I just want to be left alone to do my thing." That's the proper way that all of us should try to handle these things. And the fact is. In the great mixing bowl that we have of life, we're going to run into people who, you know, maybe get in our in our space or say things that are strange, and that's the moment when we've got to take a lesson from guys like this and gals like, you know, who who also record the the Kens out there. Take a deep breath, try to de-escalate, record, and just hope the person leaves. And because they're everywhere, including the halls of Congress. And as you were describing that, I was thinking, was her name Marjorie something? Okay, AOC has had to deal with the same thing, and you're right. There is a formula to deal with people who seem to be unwell in this way, and you've got to just record and get on with it. Much more to come on Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed, in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. David Schuster is our special guest co-host today. Much more to come. A lot of you have so much to say about that double dose of. I wish you Karen would. Sharon Reed back with you. I'll be here all week. Dr. Rashad Ritchie has earned some time off. David Schuster, good enough to sit in as our special guest co-host today, TYT Rebel HQ Extraordinaire. Um, viewer comments, David. TYT members first, Lynn is back. Uh, Karen Airlines worker harassing the man who was clearly profiled says, Karen didn't need a broomstick because she was flying on a plane. Yeah. Pretty much. YouTube, Chalinda says, I feel humiliated just watching him. Can't imagine how he feels. Yeah, it was tough to see this man who said, I just want to be treated like a human being, reduced to open emotions, tears like that. Winston Sayers says, spoken to like an animal by a flight attendant. Wow. And Edward Murtos, thank you so much. Appreciate your contributions. The broomstick. Wasn't missing, it's obvious where Karen had it stuffed. About the man on the beach being harassed by pigtails, Karen. Ford Country says FBI is sending Karens to patrol the beach now. That would be interesting because you wouldn't have thought that that would think it's just a Karen. Could be more to it, could be, I don't know. Gotta keep following that one as well. See Michael Henson, thank you, thank you, thank you, YouTube member. Is it just me? But did that Karen talking started to sound like gibberish after a while? Maybe listening to Karen's can have a numbing effect. And one more for you about that airline worker harassing that man. He doesn't need to apologize for anything. That was heartbreaking too, David, because 
He'd done nothing wrong and he protested and protested and kept saying that and was still respectful. Why are you speaking to me this way? It's not my fault. And yet by the time he got on, they broke him. He starts apologizing to everyone, humiliated, crying, apologizing. It's just so sick. Wow. Yeah, and like I mean, this this is it's horrifying. And and we, we think about sort of conflict areas in the world. The, I, I always think you know the way you resolve a conflict is you treat everybody with respect, and hopefully maybe you sort of win them over to sort of seeing your humanity. This man, and who knows what his background is or where he's from or whatever, but this is a guy who is never going to forget how humiliated and how he was treated by an airline because of Israeli security. So how is he supposed to feel now about? Israelis. And thankfully, I mean, people on the plane were nice to him and the flight attendants who were on the plane tried to comfort him, but he is never going to forget. That is a searing, burning feeling that he has. And that does not contribute in the least to better understanding between people who are different. Yeah, when you talk about winning somebody over, if more people would stand up and say, we don't, we don't support this, we want to be safe, but this is not who we should be. It's who we are right now, not who we should be winning someone over. Speaking of winning, well, he did it and he made history. A GOP <laughs> says, you know what? Not good enough after the new district attorney is black, right? He was elected prosecutor and they say, uh, hold on a minute. White Republicans created a new district after the first black prosecutor elected in Georgia judicial circuit. There he is. Looks like a nice guy, a winner. Let's give you the background on creating the new district. Jared Williams was elected over a conservative candidate in Augusta, Georgia in 2020. Made history as the first black prosecutor to hold the position. One day following that historic win, Republican lawmakers proposed separating the county from Augusta by creating a new judicial circuit for the first time in nearly 40 years. And a black star with the reporting there, coincidence, coincidence. State Rep Barry Fleming introduced a bill to separate Columbia County, the whitest part of the judicial circuit, from being under Williams' jurisdiction. It had been a part of the circuit for 150 years, rebuking the people's election. The division led to the marginalization of the black voters from the previous district. The Black Voters Matter Fund, a voting advocacy organization, argued in a lawsuit that was later rejected by the state Supreme Court. These voters had supported Williams who campaigned on a promise to support criminal justice reforms, including refraining from prosecuting minor marijuana possession cases. This offense disproportionately impacts black and minority communities. In place of Williams, the black voters in Columbia County ended up with Bobby Christine as their prosecutor. He'd been appointed as a US attorney by former President Donald Trump and was chosen by the Republican governor, Brian Kemp. Subsequently, Christine selected Williams' rival to serve as his chief deputy. James Woodall, public policy associate with the Southern Center for Human Rights, said circuit splitting allows lawmakers to handpick conservative prosecutors in a swing state. Woodall continued to say they're trying to find ways to remain in power. And who's going to choose those people? Well, it's not going to be the voters. Wow. Williams and other prosecutors have fought against these efforts, filing a lawsuit August 2nd in response to a law created by Republicans to remove state prosecutors. Williams was joined by Stone Mountain District Attorney Sherry Boston. Talo 
Tawaliga District Attorney Jonathan Adams and Cobb County District Attorney Flynn Brody in announcing the lawsuit filed against the state. They argue that the law signed by Kemp in May that resulted in a new commission with the power to discipline and remove wayward prosecutors is unconstitutional. However, Kemp said the bill is part of making public safety his number one priority across the state. Similar bill proposed by Republicans in Mississippi. You see how these things kind of just spread from neighbor to neighbor, neighboring state, if you will. Mississippi's House Bill 1020 would carve out a separate judicial district for 80% of white residents in a majority black city. 80% of the white residents in Mississippi's majority black capital city would be included in a proposed new judicial district with hand selected prosecutors and judges. An analysis by The Guardian has found leading to further allegations of deliberate racial prejudice in a Republican backed bill. Again, The Guardian with the reporting there. Now, the measure would increase the geographic size of an improvement district in the downtown area of the city of Jackson from 7.8 square miles to 25 square miles. Would create a new unelected judicial district within the city. Two judges, two prosecutors, two public defenders. The judges would be appointed by Mississippi's Chief Supreme Court Justice Michael K. Randolph, a conservative who just happens to be white. Prosecutors would be appointed by the state attorney general, Lynn Fitch, white Republican. District would be policed with an expansion of the Mississippi Capitol Police, whose chief, Bo Lucky, also coincidentally is white in a role appointed by the Mississippi Commissioner of Public Safety, Sean Tyndale, who is also white. Let's talk about the pursuit of justice, shall we? Jared Williams, Augusta, Georgia's first black elected prosecutor says, quote, I am suing to protect the voices of voters in our circuit. I am suing to ensure prosecutors could do their jobs without fear of reprisal from those with political agendas. I am suing because I swore to uphold the Constitution, and this law violates it. Segregation, this is 2023. You're still not going to tell us what to do, whether it's on a dock in Montgomery, Alabama, or Mississippi. David Schuster, your reaction to what is going on? And again, just Mississippi's the story today, but you know, this is a, a trend, a devious yeah, one. But the racism here could not be more obvious. I mean, elections have consequences, and maybe they had an opportunity, I suppose, during the election to paint the black prosecutor as too soft on crime. And, you know, we need to prosecute these minor drug possessions. You want to have that debate, that's fine. But when the debate is over and the voters cast their ballots, you have to live with the consequences. The fact that these people in Georgia are not willing to live with this black prosecutor and want to create their own district smacks of absolute racism. It is detestable, it is hateful, and it does absolutely nothing to actually lower crime. And oh, by the way, we don't talk about sort of minor drug possession. I guarantee that white kids possess drugs just as much as black kids, but the police only tend to prosecute and investigate black kids. And that's why they get arrested more. So it's just, it's hypocrisy, it's racism. And again, it, it, it makes me lose hope because we talk about, oh, are we headed towards a civil war? Are we headed towards a north and a south again? And now we're starting to see it within states. If you don't like who was elected or the color of their skin or the political orientation, then you just take your people away. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is. And remember, there's that other lady prosecutor in Fulton County where I live. Okay, She's busy today, though, presenting <laughs> details to the grand jury on 
some other guy um, who we suspect will have to make an appearance here soon. Might just have to make an appearance here soon, but it is sick. It makes me want to just say, why not just make the, the new motto in Georgia, maybe put it on the flag, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, because it's just the way it's gonna be. It's just the way it has to be until somebody says no more. What can be done about this, David Schuster? You've identified what it is. What are we going to do about it? I, like I think it'd be well, the, the most famous golf championship in the world is in Augusta, Georgia, right? So mm-hmm. maybe the time has come for you know professional golf association for the fans who want to just play golf and not have to deal with segregation to say we're not going to bring our business now to Augusta. Forget about it. If this is the way the community is going to react, and the community is somehow going to support dividing up and segregating because of prosecutors, why bother bringing our business to a place like that? I think it's time for people to start using their wallets and take some social action to say this is not acceptable. I agree with you. I just don't know if we call the Saudis or do we <laughs> just talk to the PGA about how to boycott this thing for a little while. But it's a brilliant point. Much more to come. This is indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for the good doctor, Dr. Rashad Ritchie. After a student accused Baylor University of not responding to her sexual harassment claims, the Baptist institution argued that it's exempt from any requirements under Title IX relating to sexual orientation or gender identity. The education department agreed. Biden administration has told Baylor University that it may be exempt from federal rules relating to the harassment of students based on their LGBTQ plus status. If it can show that doing so conflicts with its religious tenets. But the education department has not yet granted Baylor's request to dismiss complaints to the department from LGBTQ plus students that prompted the university to seek the exemption. This is how Title IX applies. It bans discrimination based on sex, requires colleges, universities to prevent and address sexual harassment. However, religious colleges and universities can seek an exemption if the requirements are consistent with the religious tenets of the organization that controls the institution. The reporting from Inside Higher Ed, the university argued in a letter to the department in May that civil rights complaints accusing Baylor of, among other things, not responding to sexual harassment claims from an LGBTQ plus student should be dismissed because the requirements conflict with the institution's religious tenets. Baylor officials told the department that it is exempt from any requirements under Title IX relating to sexual orientation or gender identity. So the background on the exemption efforts, Baylor sought that exemption. After the Education Department's Office for Civil Rights started investigating complaints that accused the university of tolerating sexual harassment based on sexual orientation or gender identity, denying recognition of an LGBTQ plus student group, pressing university media to not report on LGBTQ plus events and protests in September and October 2021. The complaints were filed in 2021. University granted the student group a charter in 2022. Paul Southwick, director of the Religious Exemption Accountability Project, which also filed complaints with the department's Office for Civil Rights over Baylor's treatment of students, said student safety is at stake in this decision. Southwick said he's not sure how the exemption will affect the complaints, quoting, this is uncharted territory when it comes to sexual harassment, he said. 
What I can tell you is that the Department of Education has never denied a religious exemption. And when a school has asserted one historically for our complaints involving queer and trans students, they've always dismissed the investigation afterward. So there is that. It's like a rubber stamping apparently, David. Um, this one is just, you know, is mind blowing on so many levels because what it sounds like Baylor is saying is, okay, you are free if you're a student to harass somebody who's gay or lesbian or LGBTQ. But if you're a man and you harass a woman who identifies as a woman who is a, you know, you're, you're, you're harassing her because you don't, because you like whatever, somehow I have a feeling Baylor will not allow that or will they? I mean, suddenly can anybody harass anybody now at Baylor University? Because that is the only way that Baylor gets away with this. If you are gonna say, no, we're not gonna allow men to harass women or women to harass men, you better not allow men to harass other you know, men who may be gay or bisexual, whatever it is. Because now all of a sudden there is the clear discrimination. So Baylor is not known for its academic rigor. It's clearly showing that its administration is totally out to lunch on this. Uh, they are gonna lose in a big way eventually in the courts. And I think Baylor ought to just self-examine and say, you know what, we're just not gonna allow harassment, period. Regardless of what you wanna call yourself, you wanna be LGBTQ, you wanna be a furry, you wanna identify as a cat or dog, whatever. Don't harass people, period. Yeah, live up to your religious tenets. Why don't you try doing that, Baylor? And I know it was what, 20 years ago, but it still rings true up here. Because you have the same religious tenets when the one basketball player murdered the other basketball player and the coach lied about it. Was that the same institution? I believe it was, okay? I remember that story. And while we're not talking about murder, we are talking about people's respect for others, decency. What's wrong with just don't hurt people, stop harassing people like you said. I don't understand it, but I too hope that they lose. What about the Biden administration here and the rubber stamping? What about them and their responsibility to figure out something different? That's a, that's a great point because the Department of Education should not be rubber stamping. There should not be some sort of federal rubber stamp from the Biden administration or any other federal entity. The fact of the matter is this should be battled in the courts. And again, I mean, there's, there's sort of there's this administrative board that reveals whether or not somebody can have this sort of exemption. To me, that's ridiculous. Have a full blown court hearing over this. Take it away from the Biden administration. If you're gonna just rubber stamp, let's have let's let a court decide because I think most Americans now would rather trust a courtroom to decide whether something is legal or not than trust an, an administration to determine whether somebody is tax exempt or religious exempt for that matter. Yeah, I think that one judge, nice little lady with the curly hair, she's presiding over well, the ex-president's case. I think she'd be a good judge for this one too. <laughs> I just like her and I think she's no nonsense. And you should have to put in a brief why you should be able to harass based on religious reasons. But we'll move on, David Schuster, I think we've covered that one. Let's talk about awards, Oscars. Not quite the season, it's past and everybody's striking anyway, but the Oscars, there's news. They will now let films bypass inclusion reporting. Why would the Oscars do that? I thought in 2020, everybody said, we're gonna do better. Hmm. Well, per deadline, a quiet change in enforcement protocols has occurred. Imagine that. Where feature films entered in this year's Academy Awards contest will be able to avoid reporting gender, race, and disability data required by new inclusion standards. Governing best picture contenders simply by opting out of contention for the top 
Oscar. So all you have to do, okay? Policy shift, which became apparent in recent changes to the frequently asked questions addendum to the Academy's representation and inclusion standards entry platform could free dozens or even hundreds of films vying for Oscars other than best picture from a previously declared requirement of all 300 or so awards contenders submit identity data regardless of their best picture proposals. Deadline again with the reporting. Until recently, the Academy's fact advisory noted that all features submitted for Oscar consideration were required to report detailed identity data on the platform. Because the Academy was unable to say in advance which films might actually wind up in the best picture race, the only category for which inclusion standards will be enforced. By this week, however, that provision had been replaced with a new answer to question 13, which asked, am I required to create a raised submission for a film that I don't want to be considered for best picture? The new answer says, you will have the option to opt in or opt out for best picture consideration. If you do decide to opt out, then you do not need to fill out a raised form. Academy officials had no comment on the change, but people familiar with the revision said prior policy remained in force only through a two year soft rollout during which filmmakers were required to report on the platform while the standards were not yet enforced. Industry feedback and experience during the rollout led to the current policy. I guess he's given the feedback on this one. Okay, I can just got someone in mind. My crystal ball tells me. In a further substantial change, these people said producers and distributors no longer are asked to identify cast and crew members by name or reporting on sex, race, disability issues. In its past form, the platform asked for such personal identification. With those changes, the Academy appears to have abandoned its previously described intent to collect identity data on a broad range of films across the industry. Even a modest number of opt outs would create obvious holes in any database, making it a less than reliable foundation for promise reports and policy suggestions. Policy shift might reduce the administrative burden of monitoring a large number of films that have no real best picture prospects and could limit the need to disqualify films that don't meet inclusion standards by allowing at least some of those pictures to take themselves out of the running. But at the same time, Oscar voters might find themselves selecting from a reduced field of best picture contenders, dark horse contenders, and late season discoveries would have a shot only. If they haven't removed themselves from contention in order to avoid the burden of identity reporting. I'm gonna let you take this off the top because gag me, okay? I could barely get through it, David Schuster, because I felt like something was about to come up, okay? I'm gonna let you take it. Yeah, I mean, is transparency, diversity, is that somehow a burden? Is that what the Academy is now saying? That it's a burden for people who make films to sort of report and who's involved and what their nationality is and ethnicity and sexual orientation, that's a burden now? Well, you know what? If the Academy feels that way, then they just ought to opt out for every award. You know what? If you don't care about diversity, if you don't care about transparency, then let people apply for every Academy Award without doing any sort of reporting. But if you as an organization say that you do care about these things, like the rest of us care about them, then you need to enforce it and require for every award, every film, people have to submit this information. That's not gonna change, I guarantee some people are still gonna select one film for best picture because they like it more than another film, not based on who the cast was. But at least let the audience know 
whether these movies, whether these films, whether these production companies are actually subscribing to the kind of diversity and transparency that many of us have been demanding. It may not change how we view a film, but at least let the public know why is that a burden? Wow. And to the people who they said they were reacting to industry feedback, I don't think Viola Davis was one of the ones giving them feedback that led to this, this change in policy. I think we know some pretty powerful of a certain hue, people said, we don't so much like this, you understand? We just don't really like this policy, so we don't want to do it. And the academy said, well, you don't have to, okay? George Floyd is in our rearview mirror, and you don't have to, you don't have to, wow. It's rich. The court denied. Waving Brett Favre welfare scheme lawsuit. What does it mean? It means white privilege was denied here. The Mississippi Supreme Court refused to remove Brett Favre from a welfare fraud lawsuit, and he will have to defend himself now as the case moves forward. He's still on the hook. Yep, still at it. Let's tell you more of what's going on here. Favre, who's being called a welfare queen, Mississippi Supreme Court has declared that it will keep former NFL quarterback Brett Favre as a defendant in civil lawsuits aiming to reclaim millions. We told you about this story, millions misspent welfare funds designated to aid some of the most impoverished people in the United States. Look at him smiling. According to prosecutors, the welfare funds amounting to millions designated for economically disadvantaged residents of Mississippi were purportedly squandered on initiatives endorsed by affluent or well-connected individuals between 2016 and 2019. It is considered the largest case of public fraud in the state's history. Mississippi Department of Human Services sued its former director and Barb. That was in May 2022 over the misuse of $77 million. Again, it was supposed to go some of the poorest people in our country, definitely the poorest in Mississippi. Lawsuit contends the money from the temporary assistance to needy families program was improperly diverted including the projects backed by far. No criminal charges have been levied. Several individuals, including the former department director, have confessed to their roles in the financial mismanagement scheme. And a black star with this. Now, you see some of the memes that people are putting up. Again, he's being called a welfare queen. Images like that, supposed to look like that. Stereotype of a welfare queen instead. Used to play for the Packers, okay? The Hail Marys got out of control at the end. That's why they replaced him. Aaron Rodgers got the nod. It was over, okay? But he was still loved. Then he turns around and does this. According to the claim, $5 million was allocated for a university volleyball arena where Favre's daughter just happened to be on the team. $1.7 million for the development of a concussion treatment drug. April 24th, Judge Faye Peterson, Pines County Circuit, denied Favre's plea to be excused from the lawsuit which involves more than 30 individuals and entities as defendants. Let's remind you what Favre said, okay? He said he was unaware of this, okay? He took the case to the Supreme Court. Favre argued to the state Supreme Court that officials from the Department of Human Services, along with Nancy New, who supervised a nonprofit organization under human resources services contracts, orchestrated the scheme to channel welfare funds towards the volleyball center. Favre said he was unaware, but then the text messages 
those text messages came to light. You don't want people to read it, don't text it, I guess. In those text messages disclosed in a court filing, September 2022, Favre actively sought guarantees from the nonprofit leader that his pursuit of millions in grants would remain concealed from the public knowledge. Quote, if you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much Favre texted? No. We never have had that information publicized. She texted back. I understand you being uneasy about it, though. David, there's more. Farb has paid back some, not all of it, five million here, still outstanding. He sued people in the media who just reported on this. And others are pointing to Kaepernick and saying, here we are again. This white privileged athlete, David, gets free money and all these chances. The other guy just takes a knee, cornrows and a knee, or an afro and a knee, and he is just excommunicated. And look, it's white privilege for sure. Um, This is the benefit of being a white quarterback in a place like Green Bay, as opposed to a black quarterback in a place like San Francisco. Um, I I suppose a lot of people in this country feel it's worse to take a knee uh, for the national anthem or somehow disrespect the flag than to somehow steal money from people who need it for welfare. I mean, that's the kind of society we have. We have some very hateful, disgusting people. Sadly, Brett Favre clearly seems to be one of them. Now, I'm not gonna sort of prejudge Brett Favre whether he knew or not, but I'm relieved that the courts have forced him to continue to be a defendant because if he really feels like he was unaware and wants to argue that in court, let him do it. Go ahead and and argue that you are unaware and have an attorneys then try explain, have you explain under cross-examination about these texts. And maybe Brett Favre can come up with some sort of crazy answer that will satisfy some people. He's entitled to a defense, but the people are also entitled to hold him accountable and bring justice to Brett Favre and all these other, and I don't even want to say it, people who took advantage of the least in our society. Yeah, you're a fearless quarterback, okay? You pitched yeah. for Levi Jeans, the American, like this, just he was just everything, okay? Loved him. So if you're that tough, show us in a court of law. I happen to think he's lazy, David, so I'm gonna prejudge him a little bit. He's rich and he could have raised money, speeches, whatever, travel. He just seems lazy to me. And now perhaps he will be forever the welfare queen. David Schuster, thank you. Remind us where we can find you. And Rebel HQ, you can go to a YouTube or Facebook, just do a search for Rebel HQ and a lot of videos from me and the other great contributors will pop up there. All sorts of different stuff, politics, law and law enforcement interaction, constitutional rights, racism, white privilege, you'll find it all there, Rebel HQ. And Sharon, I gotta say, it is always a pleasure doing this show with you. Have a great week, my friend. You too, I feel smarter just, just chatting with you. I just adore you. Thank you, David Schuster. And as he said, I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, This is Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reedon for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Thanks for joining us.